Hey listeners, this is Grant here, and I have Thomas with me, who is a registrar at Reformation International College and Seminary. So Thomas, why don't you tell us a little bit about the school you work at? Well, Grant, Reformation International College and Seminary exists to prepare the next generation of preachers, teachers, and other leaders in the Reformed Christian faith. Our college courses are only $75 per credit, and seminary courses are $95 per credit. We also have doctoral programs for those interested. Awesome. So what would you say is a unique feature about Reformation International College and Seminary? Well, one unique feature about our program is that all courses are online and self-paced. Students take one class at a time, and once finished, move on to the next class. Study guides are given for each course where you will answer questions based on your lectures and readings. Our Dean of Studies grades these, emails them back to you, and provides feedback. Quizzes are based on your study guides, and exams are based on your quizzes, creating a streamlined and efficient system. What would you say to those who are seeking ordination into the ministry? We've had graduates use their MDiv degree to be ordained in several Presbyterian and Reformed denominations. Our catalog also shows how our courses meet all the requirements of other Reformed denominations' recommended curriculum for those preparing for the ministry. Perfect. So how can people get a hold of the seminary? You can learn more about our programs at reformationseminary.org. And if you wish to ask me questions or are ready to apply, please email me at registrar at reformation.edu. Awesome. What was that website again? Reformationseminary.org. Welcome back to Awakening Reformation, where Reformation awakens now. My name is Grant, and joined with me is my beautiful wife, Erica, the Weaker Vessel. Hello, everyone. If you would like to find out more about Awakening Reformation, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can email us, awakeningreformation at gmail.com. And we are a part of Rebel Alliance Media, so you can go to rebelalliancemedia.com to find us. You can also find Rebel Podcast which comes out on Wednesdays. They also have a cultural video that comes out on Friday. There are blogs that come out several times throughout the week by the Emory Brothers and the rest of us on the podcast. Um, We also host, along with our children, a podcast that is released on Mondays, and that's called Fathers of the Faith or Covenant Kids, where we discuss church history, with our children and it's just a fun time it's meant to be listened to with your family and it just shares a little bit of church history and it's just a fun little 10 to 15 minute podcast so be sure to subscribe to rebel alliance media on itunes or your favorite podcast catcher so that way you don't miss any of our new episodes or blogs and tonight we are going to be discussing a heavy topic And we've been in a Reforming Family series. This episode, we're going to be talking about divorce Mm -hmm. and what the Bible says about it. Yes. So we have discussed marriage a couple months ago when we started our series. Mm -hmm. We started it with 
reforming marriage and reforming parenting. Yeah, several months ago. Several yeah. months ago, yeah. yep. So go back and check those out. That's kind of like the foundation for the continuation of this series. Yeah. So you can go back and listen to that one if you haven't. That might be helpful to listen to before you listen to this one or after, I guess. So I think it was kind of natural to tackle this topic of divorce. It's a problem in our culture. It's a problem in the church. It's something that was not part of God's design from the beginning. Mm -hmm. And so does the Bible allow it? In what circumstances does the Bible allow it? We dig into some scripture here and see what the Bible has to say. As we discuss this topic, I think it's really important to say that scripture is our authority. Man's opinion doesn't matter. Our opinion doesn't matter. And I think that's very important because there are a lot of well-known, well-trusted Bible teachers who differ on how to um, interpret scripture. You just, you have to take scripture as the authority and not people's opinion. Because I know a lot of people who will look for notable figure to agree with their position so as to justify their divorce or justify their sin. And that's certainly not acceptable. Yeah. So we want to stay biblical. We want to hold scripture as our authority. As our standard. Yeah. We want to hold scripture as our standard, not mankind, because that shifts all the time. And we know that the world thinks much different about this than the church does. And then, like Erica said, even people within the church are going to differ greatly. So we thought it'd be helpful to dig into the scripture passages that do talk about it and see and see what it says. So, like you said, kind of originally, scripture says that obviously divorce was never God's original intention for marriage. So when he created marriage... He did not design for it to end in divorce. Exactly. I want to go straight to Matthew 19 uh, when we talk about this because Jesus was addressed and it says in verse 3, the Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said... Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And so on the authority of Jesus' teaching, we find that from the beginning, it's been one man, one woman leaving their their father and mother Mm -hmm. to be joined together as one and never to be separated. So right away we see that mar- the idea of marriage is that it is a relationship that once started is not supposed to end. Mm-hmm. Well, it's because that that relationship and that unity is one that does reflect the Godhead. To fracture that unity that God has joined as one mm-hmm. is to also fracture the mirror that reflects the triune God in its union. Yeah, our salvation is secured, you know, in Christ. There's no, we, we can't lose it. Mm-hmm. And divorce would kind of send a message that you could lose your salvation. If divorce was okay, then that means that union with Christ 
could be lost. That it isn't this fixed thing for eternity. Well, that Christ could could um, lose his bride or end his relationship with his bride. But I'm saying even more than that. It's symbolizing the perfect unity that, that Jesus and the Father and the Spirit all have. Right, the, yeah, the triune true. God, you know? So yeah. can a triune united God be separated? Certainly not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they... They can't ever cease loving one another. Right. And we are united together as one. Right. Yeah. Even that that terminology of oneness is right. very... Um, Trinitarian. Yeah. In a way. Yeah. I can one, s- Oneness is Trinitarian. It sounds yeah. so strange. <laughs> but yes. Yeah. No, I, I see what you're saying there. Well, I think of when God said in Genesis, it's not good for man to be alone. Let us make for him a helper yeah you know it's he's not good he's alone but let us who are not alone who are perfectly united make him a helper there's this communion within the godhead yeah that is seeking to create a community for adam yeah well there's a trinitarian involvement in creating people that image the yeah godhead you know so yeah it makes sense that the you know relationship between Husband and wife is a mirror to the Godhead. So then where did divorce come from? So obviously after the fall, we're broken, sinful people mm-hmm. and we ruin things. <laughs> we ruin what God has made. We ruin his beautiful creature. Really? Creature? <laughs> we ruin his beautiful creation and the design that he intended. And so even in marriage, we we have ruined that and done things like divorce. Divorce was permitted, Jesus says, because of the hardness of our hearts. So it's our hearts that are hardened. Our hearts are the ones that have something wrong with them. It's not because there's a a design flaw, right? I mean, God created marriage to be a good thing, to be a blessing. So if we are seeking to divorce, it's because there's something wrong in our hearts. As someone who is seeking to honor God, Jesus says in Matthew 19.8 that it was because of the hardness of the people's hearts that God gave Moses the law that states you could divorce your spouse. It's because of the people's hardened hearts. That's why it was allowed, not because it was God's design for flourishing. Yeah, it was never God's design to separate marriages and to divorce people. Well, we know that that's always the issue for a Christian, right? Is right. is the uh, flesh warring against the spirit that we can't render that old man the old man dead? That fleshly yeah. side of us just is constantly at war with us. And even Paul himself said, "You know, a wretched man that I am." Mm-hmm. So we know the answer to that. We know the answer to that question, that if there is some hardening of our heart, that's not God's design. It's not God's design for a Christian to have a hardened heart. Our hearts are supposed to be softened, and our hearts are supposed to be forgiving. And the Bible says in Ephesians 4.32 that we are supposed to be tender-hearted, not hard-hearted. And in Ephesians 4.32, it says that, because we are tenderhearted, we're supposed to be forgiving each other. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the issues that divorce stem from are issues that we should be tenderhearted and forgiving. 
that's almost an implication on the person who's seeking the divorce. That right. you are so hard-hardened right. that you're seeking to divorce your spouse. You're not being tender-hearted, forgiving, compassionate, yep. loving towards your spouse. And there are people who have gone through terrible things with their spouses having affairs and their spouses having porn addictions and their spouses being totally irresponsible with their finances and causing their family to go through bankruptcy. And just, I mean, there are crazy things that can happen in marriage. In all of that, there is still hope, right? Yeah. The reconciling power of the gospel can cover all of that, can reconcile even the worst of enemies, you know? And I think you said it super well that seeking a divorce usually shows a hard heart, Mm -hmm. you know? And even in the, the relationships that we've either counseled or, you know, have been close to where divorce was on the table and one spouse was soft hearted Mm -hmm. and was seeking reconciliation and if it still went through it's because the other side was a hard heart it was someone who was refusing to give up sin that's usually what it is is the perpetrator was so entrenched in their sin they wouldn't let go of it and the spouse who was sinned against was willing to be forgiving yeah exactly and that was more typical than not that's Mm -hmm. that's been the case in people that we've counseled yeah and in those situations those types of situations there have been unequally yoked couples Mm -hmm. where the the person who was sinned against was a christian and the person who was perpetrating they were not a believer and in those types of cases it's been very tricky because (sighs) it's like what can you expect Yeah, you know, and and one of my really good friends went through a situation like that. And we've had many conversations where she came to me and she said, you know, scripture says that I have every right to divorce him because he has been unfaithful. Yeah. And I was like, you're right. It does say that. Is that what you think you're supposed to do? And even because in her, you know, she was a, a very new believer at the time, but she still understood the concept of grace and the concept of the gospel and the gospel message is forgiveness mm -hmm. and patience. And And she, she's like, no, because I don't think that's the gospel story. I don't think that's what God wants me to do because of the story of the Bible. I don't think that's right. And she said, I think I need to pray for my spouse and I think I need to be a good example. I mean, her faithfulness to her husband while he was being unfaithful is just a tremendous gospel presentation and that's exactly what what it was it was nothing short of her letting the gospel have its effect on her life in her actions towards her spouse and i think that's how you can have a soft heart towards your spouse in a situation like that and you you don't just get bitter and angry Mm -hmm. and calloused and want to hurt them as badly as they hurt you and there are moments of extreme pain and there were times when we cried together and all these things. But at the end of the day, her true heart's desire, whatever God was going to do, if she, if he's going to restore that marriage, and we still don't know if it's going to be restored. Right. Um, if God's going to restore that marriage or not, all she knew was that she needed to be faithful to what God has commanded of her to do. And so that was her task for every day until there was either reconciliation or there was a termination of that marriage. But it was 
what does God call me to do? That's what I do. It doesn't matter how I feel. It doesn't matter what he's, you know, my spouse is saying. It doesn't matter what my friends are telling me or my parents are telling me or anything. What matters is what God has required of me. That's what I do, regardless of anything else. And that's how yeah. she did every single day. That was that was her life. Her doing that was a constant reminder of God's call to him to mm-hmm. repent. And it frustrated him and it irritated no him. End. Yeah. And, and that's the thing, too, is she didn't stick around and accept or treat him in a way that it was okay or that she was over it or something. Mm-hmm. He knew that what she wanted, she expected, was godliness and repentance. Mm-hmm. She didn't bark and yell at him every day. And I would read through 1 Corinthians 7 where it talks about what what do you do if you're living with an unbeliever mm-hmm. and you are a believer. Yeah. And it said if that unbeliever is willing to live with you, then right. live with them. Yeah. And she would say, you know, that, that verse in 1 Corinthians 7 that says, how do you know if by your actions you will save your unbelieving spouse? Mm-hmm. That was like a life verse for her in that moment. You know, I, I just I have to trust God in this. I have to just trust him that by yeah. my actions, he will see the gospel. Yeah. And obviously she shared the gospel with him verbally, yeah. but well, by her did. actions. Yeah. yeah. Now, in doing and saying all of that, are there moments when after you've fought the good fight and you have tried everything... And that spouse says, get out, mm-hmm. that you shouldn't leave, and there is no excuse ever for divorce. Is that what we're saying? I go to Jesus and and then Paul for the biblical grounds for divorce. Jesus gives us one exception in Matthew 5. He says, but I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. And so he's saying, you didn't really divorce because it wasn't an, uh, a true exception. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like she's still married mm-hmm. and supplies both ways. Mm-hmm. You know, we the Bible speaks in principle mm-hmm. often. We don't have every single detail of everyone's life ever possible. So we take the principle here. Sexual morality, someone committing adultery is grounds for divorce. And then Paul says in 1 Corinthians that if a spouse wants to leave and they don't want to live with you, they don't want to have anything to do with your life and they mm-hmm. don't want to, that they want to just leave, to let them leave. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people have called this the desertion mm-hmm. grounds for divorce. Right. And so that's our stance, that sexual morality and desertion are the grounds for biblical divorce, that you are not in sin if you are the one who initiates a divorce on those grounds. Mm-hmm. Now, you got some like John Piper and some others that believe there are no grounds at all mm-hmm. for divorce, that death is the only thing that ends a marriage. And then I have heard others that will take the desertion exception way too far and apply it to all sorts of different ways he he's mishandling finances and he's not giving me what i want and Mm. it's like he's deserting me like well okay hold on or she's withholding sex yep she's deserted our marriage yep this is our agreement from the beginning yep 
And that, again, is, it's, it's taking it too far, and I think that's unbiblical. Yeah. So, but even with these grounds for divorce, you know, I think what Erica said in the beginning, pointing out that in Deuteronomy 24, it was the hardness of, um, of our hearts that divorce was ever a thing. Mm-hmm. So when something happens, you know, we need to check our heart and we need to not rush to divorce. Mm-hmm. My advice to anybody is that if something like this has happened, that our number one priority as Christians, as in, as ambassadors for Christ, is the ministry of reconciliation, mm-hmm. right? Right. You know, the gospel is one of enemies becoming friends. Right. And it's all over the Old Testament and all over the prophets that God's people cheat on him and yep. commit adultery, commit spiritual adultery. And we have an entire book dedicated. Yeah, the entire book of Hosea is about how the people of Israel have cheated on God and how he still loves them and is still going to redeem them. Mm-hmm. And Hosea marries a prostitute and he's told she's going to cheat on you and your life is going to be a message to the people of Israel. Yep. I encourage everyone to go read Hosea. It's a it's an incredible book. The idea of reconciliation should be our first priority, so seek that first. There are many steps that you can take to try to reconcile the marriage, whether you're the one that sinned or not. You know, if if your heart is instantly to divorce, just be done with it. Get out of my get out of my life and and be done with that person, then I think there's some hardness of heart there. Well, and when Jesus talks about forgiveness and he says, if you don't forgive the person who sins against you, your heavenly father won't forgive you. Mm-hmm. He didn't say, unless it's your husband who cheated on you or unless right. it's your wife who cheated on you. Yeah, there's no disclaimer. Asterisk. There's no disclaimer. Yeah. We have to forgive. We have to. It's a command from God. So before a divorce is ever initiated, I think you need to work through bitterness and forgiveness Mm -hmm. if you can work through bitterness and forgiveness and then still think divorce is the only option then i think you can enter into a divorce with a clear conscience because you know it's not motivated by emotions tainted by sin yeah because there could be two polar opposite situations too where uh, a husband cheats and is remorseful and is wanting to seek reconciliation with the wife. And if the wife is just bitter and said, no, 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 I got grounds for divorce and she just wants to divorce. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's the best situation. I don't think she has the right heart. Well, and I think that though the initial sin of adultery wasn't committed by her, the consecutive sins of lack of forgiveness and bitterness yeah. can be committed by her. Yeah. And then, you know, the other situation of I cheated on you and I don't really care and I'm going to keep doing it. There's no remorse. There's no seeking reconciliation on the, on the, you know, on the guilty party Mm -hmm. side. And whether they leave or not, they're just, it's unrepentant sin and it's adultery. I don't know many situations where someone's going to have an affair on their spouse and not be repentant and continue in their sin and, Either A, move out, which would be desertion, mm-hmm. or B, kick the spouse out to bring in the new flavor of the week, you know? Yeah. Would you call that desertion too, though? 
if he kicks you out of the house? Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, you've got nowhere to stay. Right, yeah. You're, you've been deserted. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I mean, that's, the spouse is unrepentant. That typically follows. One of the two things typically mm-hmm. follow pretty shortly after the incident. This sounds crazy, I realize, in like today's culture where you're so divorce happy. Yeah, no-fault divorce is rampant. I am sure we sound like we are just... Uh, approving of abuse and we're not and that's a that's a particular case where we just say regardless of what happened or what's going on if you are being physically harmed like someone is laying hands on you mm-hmm. threatening your life your children's life get out yeah just get out yep. go to someone from church or go to the church call the church say i need help have the elders come over or the deacons or someone come over help you and the kids move out of the house Mm -hmm. safely. You need protection. You need somewhere to stay. And then you go to your pastor and you ask him for help. Yep. That's what you do. You don't wait. You don't just try and do better. Keep the house cleaner. Keep your mouth quieter. No. You get out now. Yeah. But that's not, oh, you need a divorce. No. You need... To get out now. That's step step number one. Safety number Handle one. Handle step number one before you worry about any other steps. Right. Call the police. Yep. You know, you have ways of getting safe. We're not at all advocating for abuse. Heck no. We're talking about physical, sexual relationships, right? That's mm-hmm. what we're talking about? Yeah. Okay. So what about the non-physical relationships? What about emotional affairs? Well, you know, most... Cases of adultery grow over time, and it usually starts off with some sort of what people would call an emotional affair, where a relationship was developed. So vague. And lust was entertained, and then it grew and grew and grew. You know, sin grows. James 1 talks Mm -hmm. about this. And Jesus interpreted adultery, though, as lust in the heart. Mm -hmm. You know, and this I think this applies to pornography as well. And emotional affair as well. And I think the key aspect, though, is when confronted, what is the attitude of the person in sin? Mm -hmm. If you got a guy who won't break off the friendship with a certain girl, and then you're telling him, you're lusting, this this relationship is inappropriate, you don't need to be going to coffee, you don't need to be going to lunch with this girl, I don't like it, you know, you're the... You don't need to be texting her. Yeah, no more texting, none of that. And he says, it's harmless, whatever. And, and then it just persists. I mean, you got to get church elders involved yep. and all that kind of stuff. Like, this is unrepentant sin because inevitably there is lust there and there is danger up ahead. Yep. Alarms should be going off like crazy. Same with pornography. If he's not quitting, if there's no fight, that's, that's a big thing for me is if there's no fight. Mm-hmm. He's not pursuing ways to avoid avoid pornography, whether it's giving up the smartphone or, you know, putting certain software on the computer, whatever, which I don't even think a lot of times legalisms are the fix. Mm-hmm. You know, he needs to repent in his mind. He needs to think of these things differently. Mm-hmm. He needs to see the girls there and feel bad that that girl felt like she needed to do porn. Mm-hmm. You know, his heart needs to be changed to that situation, not just, you know, freak out, slap himself, and and then run away or something. You know, Mm -hmm. it's just not... It's theological. Yeah, it is. It's theological, and it's at the heart. But it's the same with 
the relationship with some other girl. If he views his his marriage correctly, then he knows that having a deep, intimate friendship with another girl is inappropriate, and that's not what he's supposed to be doing. Right. That's had with wife. You know, Jesus has a bride. He doesn't have girlfriends. Exactly. Well said, babe. So it's theological. He needs to repent. You know, mm-hmm. his mind needs to change. He needs to be transformed by the renewing of his mind, not yeah. by adding covenant eyes. Exactly. And both of those situations, if he's refusing that, though, then that's church discipline because that's yeah. unrepentant sin. And that's where he doesn't get to play the submit card. Like, I told you no. I'm dealing with it. Submit to me. No, that's sin. Yeah. And that's where the wife says, I don't care. I'm going to the church anyway. Yeah. I will not submit to this type of behavior. Bleep no. And this type of leadership. And Jesus said that that lust in the heart is adultery. Mm-hmm. So does that mean that if a guy has an emotional affair, there's grounds for divorce? Well, so so help me out with this one. Okay. Because I think it's easier to peg lust in a porn addiction than it is in an emotional affair. I think that if lust in the heart is grounds for divorce, then I think every marriage would be able to qualify for a divorce. Well, yeah. Because I think no matter how godly you are, there's always been that second glance. There's always been that wayward thought or Mm -hmm. like it's just true of every marriage. Yeah. Well, and we also don't believe that if, you know, adultery happens that you have to be divorced. Right, right, right. But I'm saying that's a qual like that has to that's a a prerequisite for divorce, right? Mm-hmm. Like that there has to be a physical affair before you even qualify to be divorced. But what if there is an emotional affair? Because there was lust in the heart, then does that mean because every marriage has been affected by lust of the heart, then every marriage has that prereq so that they qualify for a divorce? I say no. 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 How come? Because I don't think that every marriage qualifies for divorce. Yeah. And I don't think that it's possible with a sinful with a sinful nature mm-hmm. to not be affected by lust. Yeah. I think it's something you fight against and you war against. Mm-hmm. But I just don't think that there will ever be a time in your life where you're perfect. That's the truth. So also, because Jesus says that since the beginning was not so, mm-hmm. you know, man and a woman were one flesh. And that term flesh means a physical union, right? Like Adam and Eve physically became one entity, one flesh. Their bodies came together and formed one. Right. There's the physical union that happens when a marriage is consummated is specially designed by God. And if a marriage isn't consummated physically, then there's an issue there, right? Mm-hmm. Like well, if, some would say that it's not, it's even, not a, even a marriage, a marriage right? Yeah. Right. So are we then saying that if there hasn't been a physical affair, then then that union hasn't been broken in the same way it would be broken if someone else came into that union and severed it? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like that physical, fleshly union has to be severed because that's what makes a man and a woman one is that consummation. Yeah, I can see what you're saying. And we certainly believe that some sins are more heinous than others. Oh, yeah. Clearly a physical, sexual union with another person other than your spouse is more heinous Mm -hmm. than 
inappropriately getting coffee. But, you know, I'm sitting here thinking about Jesus' comments on the Sermon on the Mount about lust in your heart and how you've already committed adultery. And he was responding back to those who would have said, I'm I'm pure. Mm-hmm. I'm good. My heart's clean. And Jesus is saying, no, it goes deeper than that. If you've lusted in your heart, you've already committed adultery. Mm-hmm. A lot of what I think Jesus was saying was to get us to see that our sinfulness is a whole lot deeper. Well, and I think we as Christians like to look at fruit mm-hmm. and symptoms rather than looking at the root behind what causes right. the fruit. Mm-hmm. And that's what Jesus was doing. He was saying, yeah, you have physical affairs because your heart is sinful. I guess what I would say, what I believe scripture is saying is that there does have to be that fruit of a physical fracturing of that marital union of oneness mm-hmm. in order to qualify for divorce. Now, there can be that root of emotional affair, lust, porn, whatever. Yeah. And that needs to be dug out quickly before there is that fruit of a physical adultery or a physical waywardness. Mm-hmm. And it does manifest itself in a way that could potentially sever your marital bond. Yeah. Would you agree or disagree? No, I agree. Because I think we don't put enough uh, emphasis on the physical union, mm-hmm. that sexual union and becoming one that is supposed to happen in a marriage that consummates the marriage. So obviously our sin runs deep into our hearts. And there are really smart scholars who are all over on this, yeah. like you said. Yeah, a lot of exegesis done on this topic. Yep. A lot of people we love and respect. We would disagree with. Mm-hmm. Like you said, the heart of a Christian should be reconciliation. It should be tender. It mm-hmm. should be forgiving. Yeah, 70 times 7. That's the heart of a Christian. And that can be hard, it but can be the gospel hard. is powerful. And we have seen marriages turned around. Yeah. We've seen God restore marriages that seemed impossible to restore. And we are hopeful and prayerful that God does that, that God uses this podcast and our words to bring about some type of restoration. Yeah. It's possible. Yeah. And covenant eyes did not restore the marriage. The gospel did. Yeah. The Holy Spirit regenerating the heart of a lost person, a dying person, mm -hmm. a dead person is what can breathe life back into a marriage. Yeah. And people motivated by the ministry of reconciliation, by the gospel of reconciliation, that enemies become friends. Yeah. That is what motivates and can restore marriages that have been broken or hurt by adultery. So, before we wrap this up, real quick. Okay. You and I can both do this. All right. To the person who is currently in sexual sin, whether it's pornography or even perhaps they've gone all the way into a physical affair and they're listening to us right now, what would you say to that person? So are you talking to the girl and I'm talking to the guy? No, either one. Oh, either one. I think you need to, I think the guy needs to tell somebody that he respects. That would be a, a great source of accountability. So bring I think it to light. Yep. Needs to bring it to light and not to your buddy who's probably in the same thing. Um, but somebody that you respect 
and somebody that, and this will be hard, but somebody that you almost kind of want to impress. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what you need to do is bring it to light and tell. So like a church elder yeah, or probably a Sunday your pastor. school teacher. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Community group leader, someone like that. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say that you need to decide who you're going to serve. You know, decide this day who you're going to serve. Yeah. Are you going to serve yourself and your fleshly desires, which is what you're currently doing, and it's not working out so hot, which is why you feel like crap? Or are you going to turn away from your sin, repent, and serve the Lord? That's really the question you need to ask. And then depending on how honest you can be with yourself, you go from there. So for the person who is on the receiving end of the hurt, person who is being harmed by a spouse who is in sexual sin, what would you say to that person? Preach the gospel to yourself every single day, several times a day. Remember that God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Mm-hmm. I have never found any greater motivation for forgiveness or for dealing with my own sin than that truth, mm-hmm. the gospel truth that we were enemies, we were sinners, and God friended us. You know, mm-hmm. God sought us and put a clean robe on us. He gave us righteousness and took our sin. And so, though you've been sinned against and hurt, know that God is able, God has enabled you to do what he did, Mm -hmm. to forgive and to love despite sin and despite what others um, have done to you. Yeah. And that's daily because we'll forget. Multiple times a day on really hard days. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And certain days are going to be harder than others. You know, I would say, I think I'd probably ask questions. I think I'd probably love to just pour a cup of coffee, sit down at a table, and just ask a couple questions. And I would say, first of all, do you believe that scripture is sufficient for this struggle and this trial that you're going through? Mm-hmm. And I would hope that they'd say yes. If they'd say no, then we got to start with the person yeah. and yeah. the gospel and them being saved and regenerated. That's yep. issue number one. That's good. But if the person is saying yes... I believe scripture is sufficient, then I would say, so whatever it says to you, are are you willing to yield to? And if they say yes, then I would go through the portions of scripture that we've gone through, you know, God's design for marriage, that divorce isn't what he wants. God hates divorce. I would go through a brief story and narrative of Hosea. Mm -hmm. And then I would say, scripture does give you these these instances where divorce is permitted. Right. But we also have the gospel. Yeah. And let me share the gospel with you one more time. You might hear it differently now. Yeah, right. And then I'd say, what is it now that you think God's requiring of you? And I would hope that they would say reconciliation and forgiveness. And if that's the case, then I'd say, then seek that then work for that. Yeah. Now, that doesn't always mean that you're going to end up with a perfect marriage in the end. He might leave you. She might leave you. You might want to just stick with the Mosaic Law and put him to death. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that might be what what happens. Um, There's no guarantee that if you follow what God commands of you, that it's always going to turn out perfectly in the end. Mm -hmm. That's not a promise we have. Right. But you need to obey what God's telling you regardless of the outcome. Are you willing to do that? Yeah. And then I think I'd go from there. It's really good, baby. 
All right. Well, I know there are nuances that we did not cover Mm -hmm. and life situations are always different for everybody. Mm -hmm. So if you have any specific questions, please hit us up. If you want to direct message us, if you have a friend or someone Mm -hmm. that you like to ask a question about, we'd be glad to talk with you and engage with you. So don't hesitate. And we hope this was beneficial. Don't forget to check out Rebel Podcast on Wednesdays and Fathers of the Faith for Covenant Kids on Monday. And the blogs we got, rebelalliancemedia.com. We pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened by the power of the Spirit. And until next time, get woke. Let's start with the microphone check. One, two, first. Water to the dry and weary soul of the true church. The kind of things that few search. They say that the truth hurts. Well, this pain is gained, so let's explain the new birth. First things first, can't neglect this at the start. I must preface my remarks with the deadness of the heart from original sin. The effects of the fall. The sin of our first parents brought death to us all. Since Adam was our federal head, what he did counted for us. In him were all rebels and dead. Yo, captured in the mind, disaster, sin and crimes in a Dark state, Alaska in the winter time, sour in our frames. Left to ourselves, we be devoured in the flames. Cause we're powerless to change. If you feel that way, I pray that you respond happily. As you see what Jesus had to say in John chapter 3. Verse 1 is my thesis, it's the deepest truth that should get you speechless What scripture teaches will fill in the missing pieces Picture Jesus meeting up with Nicodemus Perhaps it was fright about the other Pharisees Wicked spite against Christ that turned this into naked night He called the rabbi and gave him props Said he was a teacher from God Jesus replied, made him stop Regarding the kingdom of God, no one's going in In fact, you can't even see it unless you're born again That must have consumed and stretched his mind Cause he said, can a man enter his mother's womb a second? Naturalistically, the only way for him to hear it Jesus said you must be born of the water and the spirit No other way to enter heaven That sounds like Ezekiel 36, 25 to 27 In this new birth, the spirit is the source and the agent The water symbolizes spiritual purification Flesh can only produce flesh, that's true and factual Regenerating work of the spirit is supernatural It's kind of like the wind, which is free East to west can't perceive the steps You can only see its effects In the same way the Holy Spirit chooses whom he pleases to sovereignly open their eyes to the truth of Jesus. For the spirit's mysterious operation uh-huh. We will all be under serious condemnation I'd still be rejecting the sun If God hadn't said let there be light Like Genesis 1 yeah. And just like the light could not refuse to shine Irresistible grace has renewed my mind Let's exalt the king who died and truly is risen Jesus. The new birth is not the effect of human decision But the cause It changes our natural habitation The situation It's a radical transformation I was cursed and polluted So my dirt was inexcusable With new internal his person is beautiful, his worth is indisputable The lamb is amazing, a standing ovation for his work in the crucible So let us respond with true worship and love To the God who has given new birth from above
Yeah, we're gonna make it with